You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Available on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, Google, all of those things, wherever you get your podcast from, you can definitely find it. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. Here with you all on this Thursday, a day before game day here in New Orleans as the series shifts back to New Orleans and the Smoothie King Center from Oakland for Game 3. The Pelicans are practicing today. They were off yesterday as they flew back. But we got a couple of things we need to talk about, and we're going to use this as kind of a catch-up day. Just to catch you up on what's going on around the league, there is another playoff series in the Western Conference going on that's surprisingly tied at 1-1 after the Utah Jazz upset the Rockets. Going to touch on that game a little bit. There's coaching searches going on that may have some impact on the Pelicans tangentially. We'll take a look at that as well. Then I want to talk a little bit about the bench with Solomon Hill in particular and Czech Diallo and what they need to do in this series to really maybe propel the Pelicans to getting a victory here in Game 3, maybe one in Game 4 as well, and tying this series up because those guys do need to come up big for New Orleans in this one. So let's just jump right on into everything. The Utah Jazz surprisingly tied up their second round playoff series with the Houston Rockets after a 116-108 victory last night, and this one was pretty fun to watch. And after game one, I don't think anyone really saw this coming. John Corrales and I previewed this game on Locked On NBA, and I said, really, Utah's going to need to shoot about 50% from three if they want to have a chance of beating the Houston Rockets, and that's actually... Pretty much what they did. Not quite 50%. I was off by a little bit, but they shot 46.9% from three. They were 15 of 32 in this game. And when you look at how to beat the Houston Rockets, you got to almost outshoot them a little bit or get them to not have good three-point shooting nights. And that's what happened in this one. And uh, Utah, not Utah, Houston, as my dog runs around in the back here playing with a toy, um, shot 10 of 37 from deep, 27%. That's not going to get it done for them whatsoever. And Joe Ingles led the way for Utah with shooting 7 of 9 from three-point range. He was 27 points on the night. 10 of 13 overall was fantastic. And if you're doing that, this Houston Rockets team is beatable. And all of a sudden, the math doesn't work in their advantage. You neutralize that driving kick game that they like to play. And also really helps if you have a dynamic scoring guard in Donovan Mitchell. Mitchell finished with only 17 points in this one. But if you guys watched him in the fourth quarter he just straight up put on a clinic he was in foul trouble for most of the game finished with five on the night and all of a sudden you got kind of concerned he wasn't going to be in there but he had that tip dunk that I think everyone has seen by now if you've woken up and put on sports center off his own missed floater he played outstanding defense on Harden late in the fourth quarter kind of neutralizing him a little bit and Houston just fell apart in this one and it's a little bit surprising you still had a good game from Harden with 32 points on the night though two of 10 from three is not going to help there uh you had Chris Paul with 23 points Clint Capella who's been outstanding for him in the playoffs so far that's like their secret sauce to making the Houston Rockets work is having a big man that's 
turning into an elite type of player, though not quite there yet. But Capella put up 21-11 and 11 on the night. You had Eric Gordon with 15 off the bench, but the rest of the bench really couldn't get going whatsoever. And you're also only seeing Ryan Anderson play about seven minutes in these playoffs, not nearly as effective as he would have liked to have been or the Rockets would like to have been. And after the comments he said leaving New Orleans, it kind of feels good that he's not getting uh, you know deep playoff run with everything here. But keep an eye on this series because it's been rather fun so far, particularly this game two where Utah raced out to a big lead. They had a lead as big as 19 in the first half before that being cut to nine and making the game really interesting in the second half. But it's going to be interesting if if Joe Ingles can shoot like this, if they can get Rubio back, and I don't know what his when his expected return is, and then if Donovan Mitchell does happen to go off in multiple games, you're going to have this one be a little bit closer, I think, than most people were expecting, though they need to get a little bit more offense from Gobert but he was pretty good the other night 15 points 14 boards we know what he does defensively and how he changes the game against teams and it tilts it in Utah's favor so nice to see from them and maybe this series will get a little bit more competitive because they're going to be interesting in the Eastern Conference as well and if you looked at that game one between Toronto and Cleveland where Toronto completely collapsed the Raptors wrapped in the fourth quarter there they shot five, uh, four or five of 24 in the fourth quarter and if I were them I'd actually feel Good. And I don't know why, because the Cavs never let in regulation in that game, only to tie it and then go to overtime where they did win. You know, they had good looks at the rim at the end of game one. And I think going into game two, as long as they're not in their own heads, I think they can really definitely win this series and beat LeBron James and kind of end his reign and his dominance, at least for one season in the Eastern Conference, depending on where then he goes. Um, could really reignite that with Philly, potentially. And, you know, I, I everyone wants to put this, the Raptors choke, this is what they do. But man, they had good looks at the rim. Valanciunas missed multiple just easy shots at the rim, and I don't know what happened there. Just couldn't get him to fall like two tip backs that hit back iron and were like halfway down before coming out. I think that's just unfortunate rather than a team choking because the looks were good. And if that team can just kind of stay out of their own head, uh, I think they'll, they'll definitely win that series. Looking at the other series, as we're just kind of recapping what's going on around the league. You had that fun game between the Boston Celtics and the 76ers, the Celtics winning, as they should have maybe, although I think most people have Philly picked to win this series. This is probably a preview of the Eastern Conference to come for the next number of years. Philly has cap room, might add LeBron James, might add Paul George, different guys like that, that they can just do something with. And then you've got Boston, who's going to return Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, and was still the two seed in the Eastern Conference without Hayward all year and without Kyrie Irving for a chunk of it. And they're still, they still won their first round series, albeit it took them seven games. But these two teams are the teams that maybe the Pelicans or whomever, the Warriors, the Rockets, are going to be facing in the finals through the next couple of years. I don't see two other teams in the East rising up into that. And that's going to tie into something we're going to talk about in a little bit when it comes to coaching search in the next segment here because I think that's a real big factor too. And you've got to almost make a coaching decision based on who you might be seeing in these playoffs and how you've got to try and maximize your team right now to get them into that position. So before you do that, make sure you listen to Locked On NBA. There's news going on all around. Hirings, still some firings maybe yet to come. Stan Van Gundy in Detroit. There's some free agent news bubbling, things like that all going on. And Locked On NBA is covering it all for you. So make sure you listen and subscribe to Locked On NBA Daily. 
So still looking around the league, the coaching search is on for a number of teams. And we actually just literally had a name come up as I'm recording this. See, I planned this perfectly. So starting at the top, let's go kind of alphabetically through things here, or at least what ESPN has. You got the Atlanta Hawks, who let coach Mike Budenholzer interview with the Phoenix Suns only to then have him withdraw his name for it and then just basically cancel his contract mutually agreed to part ways you know there's a number of ways that uh, the Hawks go Budenholzer is a really good coach and I think just did not want to be there anymore with this rebuilding team and what ownership wants to do and they also stripped him of his president abilities and powers so he's just the coach now so I think that really has something to do with it they're going to look for a guy in a number of these two uh, teams are and you're going to hear this come up a guy who can get the most out of young players like a development guy and the Phoenix Suns just announced yesterday they were hiring said coach now with um the uh with the Suns hiring Igor Kokoskov who's out of the Utah Jazz organization previously with the Suns as well and this is a guy who's been hugely influential in the development of Donovan Mitchell and we just talked about the impact he's had he's a front runner for rookie of the year alongside Ben Simmons you know they've had a number of other young guys come and play well every single year they've been there in Utah look at the jump that Joe Ingles has made some of these other players Rudy Gobert's development and that's what Igor I'm not even trying to botch the last name does a lot of so the Phoenix Suns with all of that young talent they have and they have a ton you know being led by uh, Devin Booker I think that's going to be a big thing for them and trying to maximize that talent to get these guys as ready as possible to compete in the NBA playoffs so the Suns filling their head coaching vacancy you have the Memphis Grizzlies who after firing David Fisdale during the season replaced them him with JB Bickerstaff as interim coach and then decided to keep Bickerstaff there Bickerstaff I don't know. I, you know, this is maybe a good thing for the Pelicans since Memphis is in their division, and I'm not sold on Bickerstaff as an X's and O's real good coach just yet. The players love him, and that's kind of an important thing. But he went 15 and 48 with this Grizzlies team, and yeah, they were without Conley for most of that. But you still have Gasol, you still have a number of other players there, and you would think that their record should have been better than that. So I'm wondering, you know, if this is maybe the best fit for him. And frankly, if you're a Pelicans fan, maybe be happy that it isn't. He was in. An interim head coach before with the Houston Rockets um, back in 2015 2016 where he went 37 and 34 so it's not exactly a clear winning record here or even like a great winning record in the time being an interim head coach where it was above 500 so maybe that's a good thing overall for the Pelicans as well just came out from Woj of course who else that the uh, Milwaukee Bucks, they're getting rid of Joe Prunty, who was really just a terrible coach in the playoffs for them, was not good whatsoever. He, After firing Jason Kidd, he finished with a 21-16 and record there in Milwaukee. But my God, you saw the disaster that was the playoffs. And if they got any sort of solid coaching, they probably beat the Boston Celtics in a seven-game series, but they couldn't. So uh, this is from Woj saying, Sources, Milwaukee embarking on a coaching search with a list of candidates that includes several former head coaches, Steve Clifford, Budenholzer, Monty Williams, former uh, Hornets and Pelicans head coach, David Fisdale, and David Blatt. They plan to interview those coaches and possibly several more. So they're being 
overall very uh, taking a deep dive into the coaching search here. They have a lot of players who are established. They want to win right now. They need someone who can put those pieces together and not focus on development as much. Giannis is already a top player in the NBA. You don't need to keep dragging him along and work in, in slow your role here. You need someone who can kick this up a level. All of those guys, other than maybe Clifford, um, even though I think he's widely regarded as a good coach around the league, can definitely do that. I think you're going to look at Budenholzer or Monty Williams to end up there. That makes the most sense to me if you're looking for an established guy. The New York Knicks and the disaster that they are still hasn't had a head coach after firing Hornacek. And we played that clip from the Locked On Knicks podcast for you guys. Hornacek was 60 and 104 in there. They've been meeting with David Blatt. And then another name that's come up on their list, which I think is a really good one, is James Borrego, formerly of the... Um, Orlando Magic. He's now there with the Spurs. And also, you might remember him because he was here in New Orleans for a couple of years under Monty Williams. And this is a guy who was so highly regarded. And you see his name coming up. Might not be ready for a head coaching job yet, but you've heard his name be linked to them, to the Orlando Man Magic, and uh, various other places. So I think that's one that makes a lot of sense eventually to get a gig. He's also been mentioned for Charlotte uh, since Steve Clifford uh, was fired from there. They've brought in Mitch Kupchak, and they're going to be looking for different things. Uh, there's a couple other guys. San Antonio assistant, um, Imi Adoka, is in, interviewed for it. I think Fisdale, as well as Ettore Messina from the Spurs also, along with Borrego. I think you're going to see a lot of Spurs guys get jobs real soon in the league here. And as we keep going through this, we're almost done, I promise. The Orlando Magic, after five Firing Frank Vogel, and they are maybe the most awful run franchise out there right now, and I have no idea who they're going to be looking at. I think Borrego, if the, he's going to get a head coaching job this year, is definitely going to end up there, and I think that's the one that makes the most sense for him. But Orlando Magic are a disaster. Maybe they re-sign all of the guys that led them to this abysmal record last year. I'm not sure after their hot start or what they try and do to make that team better, but there's not a whole lot. So good luck to whoever gets that job. But a number of these teams are going to be looking for guys who can bring the most out of the young talent that they have because there's an influx of it here in the league right now, and you need to develop these guys to try and continue on with your rebuilding process and not try and accelerate it or jump it to the next level by bringing in an established head coach who doesn't work on that kind of things when you're not ready to make the leap that some of these teams aren't yet there a year or two away. So I think you're going to see some of these teams here could be very good in a couple of years. Um, I'm actually kind of high on Phoenix with all that young talent, particularly with their new head coach who can maybe get the most out of them for it. But that was it. Needed to catch you guys up on news around the league and head coaching searches is one of the bigger things. Pistons haven't made a decision on Stan Van Gundy either, president and head coach. That normally doesn't work. We're going to see what happens there. That's something we also need to keep an eye on. Don't forget, Game 3 is tomorrow night, and we're going to have everything you need to know for that over at LockedOnPelicans.com. So make sure you check it out daily. New content up all the time, making you a smarter basketball fan, giving you something just to kill time with at work. I know you guys want that as well. So make sure you read daily, LockedOnPelicans.com. So really quickly, before we wrap up, this is kind of a slower day for the Pelicans. No good quotes, no anything like that. They haven't even practiced yet when I'm recording this. And no game day, obviously. So I wanted to cover and, like I said, catch you guys up on things going on around the league because the NBA never stops at this point. It's almost got a longer offseason cycle than the NFL does, which is really saying something. We've got... 
combine coming up. I'll have them trying to get something with Melvin Frazier out of Tulane with that, who was just invited to the combine, signed with an agent. He will be entering the NBA draft, which is a pretty cool thing to see as a Tulane alum, now kind of current employee. And um, but that's for another day. And so that was a really cool thing to see. He's ranked in their top 30 prospects. So maybe a fringe first round pick age might hurt him there a little bit, but certainly probably in the second, he's going to go somewhere and someone's going to get a pretty decent, uh, you know, guy for their team who can defend and shoot. And that should be a lot of fun. And I'll be rooting for him no matter where he ends up. Uh, But speaking of, you know, that kind of position wing play, Pels need to get some more out of Solomon Hill in this. His minutes have been low in this game, in this series for a while now, because he hasn't played so well, and he's clearly not the same guy coming back from this injury that he was last season, when he did play reasonably well, at least defensively, not offensively. But man, is it rough right now, and the Pelicans need to figure out how to do this, whether it's you put him on the court with a number of shooters in AD to try and get used his defense that way, but even then, he's not playing well there, but if they want to win this year's and steal a game at home, it's not even stealing, it's win a game at home, um, or even two at home, and send this series back to Oakland, tied 2-2, you've got to get something out of him, and if not, you need to give those minutes to entirely someone else. We saw the Golden State Warriors not playing on him at all when he had the ball. They were daring him to shoot, and wide open as he was, it wasn't looking good, and there were issues there. So you've got to get some better play out of him. Another guy you need to see some better play out of is Czech Diallo. You saw him give the ball a little bit away in game two, and also just not the right type of communication between him and other players when it comes to rebounding, leading to some of these rebounds getting snapped up by Golden State because these guys are fumbling the ball and things like that when it's just call it and defer, and it Czech Diallo shouldn't be the first name, uh, thinking he's going to go and get his. He's got to do a little bit better. I mean, he's still really more or less a rookie, a second-year player who didn't play heavy minutes. His first year didn't play heavy minutes at college. So it's no surprise that he's making these mistakes, but I don't trust him to be out there to do this just yet. And you've got to wonder if maybe you're going to run Okafor in his place during that time, though I don't think you want to see either of these guys getting more than like six or seven minutes per game, Okafor or Diallo. But it really does come down to Solomon Hill, and the Pelicans need him defensively to slow down Kevin Durant. They've done a decent decent job, I think, defending Durant one-on-one. He's still going to get his, but when getting his is 30 instead of, say, 22 points, that can be a big deal for New Orleans, and they need to have these guys come up and play well, and I think that means tweaking these rotations. We've seen some bad lineups out there so far, and it's hurt the Pels, particularly in game one, less so in game two, but you're not going to be able to make any mistakes now, particularly because Steph Curry's back in the starting lineup, meaning your bench unit when you do run those guys out there, is going to be a little bit, uh, have more breathing room as you won't have Curry torching them as much when you make your first sub and they make their first sub. It's not Curry coming into the game anymore and being able to torch you a little bit. So I think that's a good thing that we're going to see coming up in game three. So that's going to do it for this edition of Locked On Pelicans. Thank you all for listening. Got you caught up around the league. Talked about some of the role players here that New Orleans is really going to need to step up in Game 3. And of course, tomorrow we will have the preview for you as the series shifts back to the Smoothie King Center. It's going to be loud. I think fans are going to let the refs have it as they should. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I cannot wait. So as always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. We'll be back with you all tomorrow to preview the game. 